Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. Bryce Walton, 1918-1988, was an American science fiction writer who was active from the 1940s to the 1970s. He wrote numerous short stories and novels, primarily in the science fiction and fantasy genres. Walton's work was primarily published in pulp magazines such as Amazing Stories, Astounding Science Fiction, and Galaxy Science Fiction. If you enjoy our program, please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend you both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ Media Podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 1 He stared at her for a long time from fear-glazed eyes while the fear gradually died into clouds of suspicion. He suspected her ability to probe his mind during sleep and implant the seeds of nightmare there, she knew that. But it was only an intangible suspicion. He needed her. She was his only companionship in the vast global rainforest of Venus and he wouldn't let the suspicion grow to the stage where he would have to kill her or worse. Her hold over him was a strong one. If he lost her, he would be alone. To the Tellurian colonists scattered minutely through the rich area of Sector 5, Owen Bearslag was an unspeakable obscenity. A degenerate derelict, an abnormal who had gone native and things even more despicable. A stith addict who eked out a precarious existence in the most polluted occupation known, that of forcing the timid Venusian swamp natives to harvest the meager crops of aquit from the lake bottoms. The vile drug brought fabulous credits when Bearslide managed to get it into the hands of secret agents on the space liners that docked at the Vensity spaceport twice a year. And the Venusians themselves hated Bearslide with a helpless cowed fear. He beat, tortured, and killed them whenever they refused to obey and the necessity of probing the great depths of the lakes after the aquid twisted and deformed those it didn't kill, dooming them to a life of incurable pain. Shaking as with dull fever, Owen staggered to the door, peering through the insect-proof netting into the writhing tendrils coming up from the phosphorescent bogs. He kicked Johat aside as though she were some crude form of vermin, they considered him a despised abnormality, the authorities. There was a price on his head just the same, he mused proudly. Five thousand credits for his capture alive. Dead, they wouldn't care for him particularly. His brain was abnormal in an age when advanced psychometry had made abnormality a rare exception. 
they needed his brain for analysis. 5,000 credits that was the price they placed on his brain in the massive chrome laboratories in density. The labs in which his twin, Professor Albert Bearslag, held his exalted position as chief of psychometry. The insidious influence of the euphoric stith burned into his mind, fogged his eye with delusions of grandeur. He saw himself as a martyr, a persecuted victim, sacrificed on the altars of socialization. He slumped down on the kukuri couch again and looked at the sinuous outline of the Venusian creature who took care of him as though love could exist between an earthman and a half Venusian fish. I wasn't always what I am now, he said. You know that, Joha? She nodded. Yes. She knew. She had heard various phases of Owen's life history many times. She liked to listen. The more she found out about his twisted past, the more horrible she could make his nightmare by employing her powers of suggestion. That power was common among her people. She still considered herself a Venusian in spite of her Tellurian blood, but the fact that she was part Tellurian enabled her to exercise that power on the Earthmen better than a pure-blooded Venusian could. She knew that Owen had only a slight subconscious realization of that power which she possessed and which she had been using for the past year to sow those insidious seeds of nightmare in Owen's mind. To admit that she held such power over him was to admit that this green-skinned creature was superior to him and that Owen Bearslag could never admit. No one was superior to Owen Bearslag. The whole world of science had been jealous and envious of him. That was why they had banned him, made an outlaw of him. I could have been the greatest cosmologist ever known, he said. You know that, Joha. Yes, she said in that strange slurred tongue that seemed to hold such emotion, it held no tangible meaning. I know that, Owen. Owen's pale face that had been buried in the sunless mist clouded, darkened. My own brother, he said. He betrayed me to the scientific council. Think of it. Joha, my own brother, my twin brother, now it's time for him to die. You have found a way to kill him? She backed away, eyes wide. Yes, and it is all perfect, perfect. One would think Albert had prepared everything for my benefit so that I might kill him. Everything is perfect. His experiment is finished. It is a great success. And he deserves to die. You know that, don't you, Joha? Don't you? Yes. I know it, she said. Chapter 2 Owen glared into the mist. Fifteen years of study. My record was undeniably the highest in my study section. 
I might have graduated from World Tech this year, Joha. I might be in those labs right now instead of rotting here in the slime pit. I took the final psychotic tests, weeks of mental probing with those damnable scanners digging into my brain. And Albert, my own twin brother with his hypocritical love for me, he was the one who turned in the negative report. As chief of the psychometric council, he could have passed me. It was because he was my psychotic twin because he knew me more intimately than even the scanners that he was able to deny me entrance into the labs. Now, Joha, doesn't he deserve to die? And Joha, who had heard this countless times before, made the customary reply. Yes, Owen. And then added. You have been waiting five years for him to perfect his time insistment principle. This suspended animation. You have said you would murder him and take his place in the insistment chamber. But, Owen, are you sure you can escape detection long enough to get to him in order to kill him? Yes, yes. It is all arranged. I can't fail. I must get to him. All these years of hell in this cesspool, they mustn't be wasted, Joha. They can't be wasted, can they? No, she said softly. They can't be. But, but I love you so much, Owen. When you leave, I shall be so lonely. I will probably die of loneliness. He laughed. It was a broken, bitter laugh. It was the laughter of a madman. The paranoiac who is guided by a strange genius for planned destruction. The laughter died and he seemed to have forgotten her. He paced back and forth across the tiny damp hut. Now, now it is time. Five years in hell than paradise. Albert has perfected his time insistment chamber. He has insisted, bless him, on undergoing the experiment himself. He insists against the will of the Tellurian government, the council, everyone. He is noble. It would not be fair, he says, to allow another to take the chance. It is my experiment and it is only right that I must be the guinea pig. Ah, my brother is so noble, so fair, as are all hypocrites. How simple it is, Joha. I kill him. I become Professor Albert Bearslag. I enter the time insistment chamber as my illustrious brother. I am put into a state of suspended animation. And I awake in 500 years a free man. Joha knelt down, a look of worship coloring the green of her half-human face. You are so clever, she said. So patient and so thorough and so brave. Killing him, that is all that really matters, said Owen. 
the insistment that is only secondary. But it is ingenious, isn't it, to become the man I kill? There can be no punishment, no ridiculous retribution. Revenge is futile, in fact it isn't really revenge at all if the avenger is made to suffer for his acts of vengeance. Owen grasped Joha's slim arm, spun her around. His mouth twisted with cruel pleasure as he saw the slight painful writhing of her lips. You may begin your slow death from loneliness now, Joha. I'm leaving for Vensity tonight. She looked sadly resigned as she came close to him, slid one hand up and into the thick matting of his hair. You need rest, Owen. You were out there two days in the swamp getting that last three kin of awkward without sleep. You should rest well before you go into danger. You only slept an hour. He lay down with a long sigh. Yes. That is a good idea. I'll need all my powers when I go to Vensity. But those, those horrible nightmares. His face drained, oozing sudden sweat at the memory. Always the nightmare. The same one. But each time I dream, the nightmare gets more horrible. There must be some cause for it. If I could only find its cause. As soon as I assume Albert's identity, perhaps I can use the psychiatric scanner on myself and find the basic cause. But her cool fingers stroking his brow sent him back into the sleep he dreaded. Immediately her hands withdrew. No, Owen, the psychiatric scanner will never find the cause of this nightmare. It's artificially endowed, Owen, dear. It has no roots in your twisted childhood or in your cruelty. And the scanner could never find its source. Because I am its source and I am alien. Her hands drew back from his face. Her eyes pierced brighter, brighter, eating down, down into the dregs, the dreary twisted depths of his mind. Chapter 3 He was running, running as before, always as before. But this time, his pursuers were very near. He was running in a sticky bog. With infinitely slow agony, he drew each foot out of the slimy muck, set it down, drew up the other foot. Around him was a thick blanket of cold, clammy fog. And he knew it was an endless fog that, if he ran forever, he could never escape it. But he also knew he wouldn't run forever, or even very long. His pursuers were too close. His pursuers? He looked back. A sense of profound horror sickened him. He recognized them now. For the first time, they were near enough for him to identify them. He sank down on his knees. He began to crawl through the stinking ooze. Then he felt their nearness. 
They were surrounding him. He couldn't escape. He saw a ring of cold green faces. Hands, innumerable hands, reached out, tickling him with a branch of small blue nettles. He screamed. The poison fangs of the Bombay vine. The final agonies of the damned. The Bombay vine. Death would be infinitely preferable to the sting of the Bombay vine. It was unendurable pain, indefinitely prolonged. It directly affected a mysterious distortion in the nervous structure. Science had no cure, had never found the cause. Men who stumbled onto the nettles of the Bombay vine sought a quick and merciful death as the only escape. Without death, the victim lived out a full lifetime of raw, shrieking pain. His screams as he awoke silenced the giant tree toads who hung heavily from the 500-foot crinoids. But before he left for Vensity through the darkness, he had suppressed the stark horror of the dream. Once more he had drowned his hell in Stith. Chapter 4 He crawled out of the decrepit tractor on the outskirts of Vensity. The city's lights glowed eerily through the night-thickened blanket of fog as Owen found his way cautiously through rotting vegetation, then hesitated before entering Swamp or Swin's dive. Tinny music came from the native band inside the smoky interior as it played the incomprehensible music. A few earthmen and women sat inside at the small oblong tables tourists getting a morbid thrill from Venusian culture. He slipped inside, around the shadowed wall, and into a public audio booth. He dialed the Vensity Laboratories. Connect me with the psychometric section, please. Urgent information for Chief Albert Bearslag. Who is calling? The male secretary's voice said sleepily. Jonathan Green, Kelf Farmer, Sector 5. I have highly interesting information revealing some unknown facts about psychological motivation of native swampers in my sector. The male secretary hesitated. Professor Bearslag knows about me, Owen persisted. I've submitted other discoveries of mine to him before. He told me to come back and report any new discoveries to him immediately. Just a minute, sir. I'll connect your audio with Professor Bearslag's study. He knew he would get results with that line about new psychological discoveries concerning native behavior patterns. Their mental processes were quite a mystery. Not a mystery to Owen anymore. As far as he was concerned, they didn't have any mental processes at all. Owen waited for Albert's voice. His twin still had a soft spot in his heart for him, he was pretty certain of that. A desperate appeal of the kind he intended to make would move his brother emotionally get the sympathetic reaction he needed to complete his rather fantastic plan. 
His brother's voice startled him. It was a perfect replica of his own. Soft, cultured, and low. Yes, this is Owen. He heard a catch, a pause from the other end of the audio. Ah yes, why hello, Owen. Where are you? Well, what do you want? Owen grinned coldly, but his voice was warm with repentant emotion. Albert, I am giving myself up. I've had enough. It's been a noble and futile life for me anyway. You know that it's always been just a matter of time before I would give myself up. Well, this is it. I'm just outside the city now. At Swamper Swin's Dive. But Albert Dash. The chief of psychometrist's voice was low, hoarse. Yes, Owen. I want to see you first, Albert. I'll probably never get to see you again. I'll be a completely new personality when they release me from the reconditioning processes. I'd like to have a good talk with you before I turn myself in. Just a brother-to-brother talk, like old times, Albert. With me, it'll be a sort of cathartic, a confession. I've sinned, sinned terribly. I'd like to get it all out of my system and you're the only one who might understand. Can I come up and see you tonight in your lab, Albert? There was a long pause. Why, why? I guess so, Owen. Yes, yes, of course you may. Gullible fool, thought Owen. How can you get up here without being detected by the scanner guard? I have the identification discs of Jonathan Green. They'll pass the scanner guard. I, Jonathan Green, died in the swamp two years ago. By accident, said Albert Bearslike pointedly. Naturally, said Owen with apparent sincerity, forgetting to add, after I pushed him into a bog and kept him there too long for his continued survival. Very well, Owen, said the professor of psychometry. Then, I'm glad, Owen. So very glad that you're giving yourself up. I'll see you soon then, said Owen, and severed the audio connection. Chapter 5 The automatic electronic scanner guard passed him freely as the swamper, Jonathan Green. Professor Albert Bearslag was in his study, waiting. The rich luxuriance, the soothing harmonics radiating from the opaque walls all rekindled the violent hatred Owen's paranoid mind felt for his twin. Albert Bearslag might have been Owen, only his dress was different. His matted hair and beard were the same, Owen had been careful to keep that constant similarity as he waited for this moment when it would be time to act. A plastilic smock covered Albert, whereas Owen was dressed in the rubberoidals of the swamp farmer. 
Albert's face was tense with conflicting strain. His eyes were flooded with sympathetic emotion and also with a disgust he could not conceal. Albert stretched out a firm hand. Owen ignored it. Albert frowned, then motioned to a chair. Owen kept on standing. Well, said Albert. So you're repenting? There's no use drawing out this obvious deception, Albert. I've been waiting for this opportunity. I'm here for revenge, Albert. To me, you are the most hated thing in the universe. For the last five years, I've been waiting only for this chance. Albert's face became gray. Owen. Owen, listen. I did it for you. You're inherently unstable. A life in the labs would have broken you. Without perfect cortical thalamic integration, no mind could stand six months in these labs. Go on, Albert. Talk. That's what I'm here for. To watch you squirm. Listen to me, Owen. Whatever you do, you'll be apprehended. You can't escape. If you'll give yourself up, like you said you would do, I can see that you get special longevity treatment in my specialized Lunarian clinics. It's too late for any ridiculous therapy, said Owen. I know what happens in those Lunarian clinics of yours. The result is called a cure, but the poor devils who are supposed to be cured aren't even the same personalities anymore. Who wants to be a well-integrated but characterless non-entity? No, Owen. You're not the extreme case that demands that kind of treatment. Only a slight lack of integration which can be leveled off if you'll only dash. That's enough, snapped Owen. I have a cure for both of us. A natural one, time-tested. It's as old as mankind. He revealed suddenly a small proton gun issued to the Swampers for survival against the carnivorous flora and fauna of Venus. He brought it out casually from inside the bib of his rubberoidals and directed it at Bearslag's chest. Jonathan Greems, said Owen with a stiff grin. Chapter 6 The chief of psychometrics staggered back from his chair staring, eyes wet with fear and mental pain. Not that, Owen, not from you, my my twin. It is grotesque, isn't it, said Owen. I thought so too, when you did something perhaps worse to me. Now listen. I knew you'd finally persuade the council and the government to let you be the victim of your own experiment in suspended animation. I've been waiting for them to agree and for a definite time to be set for the beginning of the time insistment experiment. You see, Albert, 
I wouldn't kill you unless I knew there was a good chance to get away with it, as the old timers used to say. And I'm definitely assured of escape. Albert, I'm taking your place in the time insistment chamber and I'm the one who's going to see the future you might have seen. Albert Bearslike stared at his twin with incredulous horror. He no longer seemed to notice the gun. Owen, he said faintly. Owen, listen to me. It won't work with you. You're unintegrated. You dash. He finished the admonition with a long bubbling cry and crumbled on the plastic mosaic of the floor. A bright, unreal looking stream of blood flowed oilily from the blasted chest. Owen leaned with a sudden awful weariness against the desk. He had wondered how it would feel to kill his twin. Now he knew. A strange mysterious fear filled his heart as he stood there in the silence looking down at the corpse. Somehow, the revenge wasn't so delectable as he had anticipated. But after that Owen didn't waste any more time. First, he dragged Albert's body into the small but expensively compact and complete laboratory just off Albert's office. He prepared a large vat which, 30 minutes after his twin's corpse was lowered into it, revealed only scant fluid evidence that Albert Bearsleg had ever existed. No one would ever check because Owen was assuming his identity. The blood-stained clothes he also disposed of in a similar manner. He cleaned up the blood-stains on the floor with the immaculate care of his kind. After that, dressed in Albert's clothes, no one could possibly have known that it was not really Albert Bearslag, but the hated, despised, obscenity known as Owen Bearslag, who sat behind his desk. And it was the next afternoon that Professor Albert Bearslag was supposed to submit himself to the time insistment experiments. The professor, Owen Bearslag, was right on time as he dropped his Eurocar down on the vast roof landing of the great solar museum which contained the deeply buried insistment chamber inside its massively thick and many-layered vault. The teleoelectronic robot attendant wheeled the Euro onto an elevator while Owen, stifling a growing feeling of dusty desperation, dropped downward toward the deeply buried rendezvous. Professor Kaufman, one of the chiefs from the cosmology section, greeted Owen with frank and open concern. From his earlier acquaintanceship with his brother, Owen knew that Kaufman had been Albert's closest associate. Others greeted Owen with formal, though terrific enthusiasm. This was one of the most dramatic experiments of the past five years eras, which had been obsessed with social sciences and not sensational pastimes. There weren't many there besides the teleaudio ethercast representatives. They were busy broadcasting to Earth, Mars and the rest of Venus, the details of the experiment in suspended animation. Owen was the center of the stage. 
the central actor in one of history's most sensational dramas. And it was being witnessed by a bigger audience than had ever been commanded by the greatest dramatist in solar history. A soft-spoken interviewer from Solar Broadcasters questioned him. Owen's voice in his perfectly acted role was being broadcast and telescreened everywhere on Earth, Mars, and Venus. For the benefit of the teleaudience, a microfilm was projecting a complete scientific explanation while the smooth-voiced announcer read it aloud for those who demanded visual and audio transition. And while the announcer explained for the fascinated audience, mostly Lehman, Owen, two medics, and Kaufman entered the many-doored thickness of the chamber and into the very small interior where the insistment reservatory machine waited. To Owen, it resembled a streamlined coffin, barely large enough for his gaunt length, frightfully small and confining. The thick series of interlocking doors were still open and Owen could hear the announcer's voice. Chapter 7 And, as you perhaps already know, the principle of Professor Bearslag's time insistment process involves phenomena we're all familiar with. The stasis developed by Professor Albert Bearslag, and to which in exactly 15 minutes he will subject himself incorporates a kind of super-sleep principle. The synaptic connections will be broken through amoeboid contraction and this disconnection will exist until that future time, 500 years hence, when Professor Bearslag will awaken. 500 years is only the opening experiment, says Professor Bearslag. The next experiment can possibly be for any definite period of time. This awakening is also interestingly arranged for by leaving one awaking threshold at its normal waking level. When this is activated by automatic relays dash. Owen was stripped now and his body was outstretched in the soft, deep depths of the reservatory. The sliding panel that exposed his upper torso was slid open and he was looking up into Kaufman's red face and the intent professional faces of the two medics. But Kaufman's face was serious now as he reached inside the reservatory and gripped Owen's damp hand. Goodbye, Al, he said. You're curious about man's destiny. I'm not. I wonder if you'll really be able to bear the knowledge of where we're going. Owen's mouth was dry. He licked sticky lips. He didn't say anything. They were preparing his arm for an injection of hypnoticin. Owen twitched. He wanted to cry out his guilt. Surrender. He knew now that he had made a horrible mistake. But things blurred fast. He couldn't speak. There was a dull, pleasant haze, a feeling of utter relaxation. Not utterly. It should be that way, but it wasn't. Because he knew, now. Voices came from a very far distance, slow, soft and rhythmical.
After the anesthesia, they would sink slender electrodes through the brain tissue of the cerebrum's third ventricle. Chemical reaction would destroy the substance of the electrodes gradually, a process of slow disintegration carefully gauged and the lesions in the posterior region of the floor and walls of the third ventricle would heal so that he might awaken. No! Anything would be better than this. He wanted to tell them. But he couldn't. It was too late. He was going under deep down and far under. He had been terribly misled by all the scientific jargon. Why couldn't they have been simple and direct? All this principle really was, was a complete mastery and understanding of the oldest phenomenon in man the most common and the most persistent mystery. Synapsis severed. Each cellular unit self-feeding through synthetic, inexhaustible sources. Oxygen intake lowered to an incredibly low level. But it was really nothing other than... Sleep. Sleep. Pure, prolonged, unblemished, unsullied sleep. And so... Owen Bearslag was again running through the endless gray mist. His feet were again rising and falling with a terrifying, agonizing slowness from the thick, oozing bog. He was down on his knees again, crawling with a futile frantic desperation. They reined him in. He was trapped again. He saw the cordon of silent, emotionless green fishmen. Venusian native fishmen and in their hands reaching out were branches of the Bombay vine. He screamed. He kept on screaming as the nettles slashed his flesh with a burning hideous fire. It crept like molten liquid flame into his nerves, into his brain. Unendurable pain, indefinitely prolonged. His only escape from the nightmare had been his ability to wake. But now he was doomed to go on sleeping, sleeping and dreaming and knowing the infinite, implacable pain. For 500 years. Chapter 8 Joha, who was part Venusian, dove easily and silently into the swamp lake. She swam to the other side and stood poised on the bank. She met them there. The green fish faces gazed at her with unblinking eyes and one of them said, It has been done as you planned it, Joha. It is done, she said softly. For two years I prepared him for fulfillment of the dream. There is no escape for him now. The dream is planted too deeply. He will suffer torture greater than any he inflicted on our people. And he will suffer them for half a thousand of his years. Then your redemption is complete, said the little green fishman. What you have done entitles you to enter our tribe again. Even though you are part Tellurian, 
You are again considered one of us. Come, my daughter. Shall we go back? Joha dropped down, bowed her head twice before him. I am ready, she said. <laughs>